Welcome to the Baseline Community Church Podcast. I'm really happy to be with all of you this morning. So good morning, and it's great to see you. I have really appreciated meeting the leadership team from Baseline Church. And I just wanted to say that um, I've been super impressed and proud of your leadership team. There's been so much conscientious, thorough in-depth, wise, smart leadership that's gone on behind the scenes of this merger. So thank you to all of you leaders. And seriously, you've got a really wonderful team um, working hard on things today. And Don and I were texting this morning. He's probably telling a dumb joke right now (laughs) about how we share the same barber or something like that. (laughs) He told me he was going to break that out. And um, and talk, but um, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. And actually, real quick, I want to get something off of my mind before I get all chatty and, and um, introduce Jessica and talk to you. But Andrew, would you care if I give you a word? <laughs> he hesitates. I know we're live streaming, so I, I want to be sensitive to that. But um, uh, so I've taught at APU for several years, and um, I just I felt like the Lord's just putting a simple word on my heart for you. But regarding your role at APU in terms of the leadership you've provided, did you know that everybody has an opinion about everything? <laughs> did you know that if you step up to lead, everybody has an opinion? And it's, it's always people who aren't in the arena with you that know how you should do it better. And of course, sometimes observers have positive things that, that we miss in the moment. But um, I, I felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you what his opinion has been. Um, of your leadership. And I know people have had opinions all over the place, and I felt like the Lord is saying to you, well done. The Lord is saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And I feel like the Lord's calling you a Joshua. And at the beginning of Joshua, Joshua chapter one, where over and over the Lord encourages him to have courage and then promises him, everywhere you step, I'm giving it to you. And I feel like the Lord sees the heart of a Joshua, humble, uh, broken before God, strong in the Lord and able to do everything that God's called you to do. So um, the Lord is saying, well done. You've led well, you've done well, and sky's the limit for you in your future. So thank you for your role there. I guess he's also been my boss, technically, so (laughs) I don't think I work there anymore, though. I think they got, I think I'm... I think I'm done there, but um, I'm so happy to be with you guys today, and I'm so happy to introduce you to Jessica. Jessica and I have been married 27 years. She is the most amazing person I have ever met in my entire life. Um, she'll join me for the Q&A afterwards, although she actually woke up and can't speak. She's lost her voice, so, um, but she'll do her best, but um, uh, she, she is, she is a Enneagram 2. She's a Myers-Briggs ENFJ. She's probably the purest mercy, exhortation, motivational gift mix of anybody I've known. She's uncannily discerning. She's sweet and fun and charming and gentle. (laughs) Our uh, our girls think that I think that every epic love song ever written was about her, (laughs) and it's true. I was at the gym the other day, and I was in the middle of the set, and this Rihanna song came on. Have you heard Rihanna's song where she says, lightning strikes every time she moves? And I'm in the middle of a gym, and I thought, that's Jess. That's her. But um, you're going to love her. We've had an incredible life together. And we've also lived through some pretty horrifying things together. And I'll probably invite you into a little pity party here in a few minutes when I tell you a little more of our story. But um, 
but I'm excited for you to get to know her. And this is a big day for me. Uh, I have wanted our churches to merge together for, for quite a few years. In fact, five years ago, the board from Grace met with the board from Baseline to talk about a potential merger, this exact merger that's happening. And for a couple of reasons, it wasn't the right timing. But, but for several years, I have wanted my church to merge with your church so that we could be our church. And, and, and so I think this is a, a, a great moment. A merger is vulnerable, though. A church merger is vulnerable for everybody that's involved. This is vulnerable for Grace it's vulnerable for baseline. It's especially vulnerable for Pastor Don and me. If this merger goes forward, and I realize that there may be some people visiting today and you really don't care at all what Grace and Baseline do, and, and we still have something from Scripture to look at today that I think will strengthen you whether you care or not about the merger. But for those of us that are in the middle of merger conversations, this is vulnerable, and if this merger goes through, Pastor Don would be stepping out of a lead pastor role and into a senior associate pastor role and into a role that I think would be wonderfully suited for his gifts, his strength, his personality. And it's not uncommon for a long-tenured leader to make a change and come alongside another leader, but it's still vulnerable. In fact, in a lot of settings, it would be easier for a pastor to leave and to go to another church. But, but I think Don trusts me, and we have a friendship, and I think Don and Nancy both are not just peaceful, but actually feeling excited about the potential and and the future, but it's also vulnerable for me because I would be stepping into an established, long-running network of relationships and a culture, and I would be hoping that you're happy about that. Um, I've actually been praying for all of you, and whenever we pray for someone or something, our heart always follows our prayers. Prayer is a great tenderizer of the human heart. You can't pray for people for long without starting to love them. So, so in praying for you, I, I already love you, even though I'm still just getting to know some of you. And if this merger is of God, and there's leadership on both sides of this conversation that seem to think it is, then, then we are standing today on the threshold of a very potential-filled relationship. And I want to talk today from a passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 11, that I think will kind of set the tracks for where we can run together. So you can find Acts chapter 11 if you would. And I want to do a couple of things in this little study today. First, I think that this, this passage will strengthen you. And again, merger aside, I think this will pour some hope and some strength into you. Uh, if I were to give a title or a heading for what's in this passage, I think I would have to call it hope. Our world needs hope. We are swimming in inflation. Our junior high students are struggling with crippling anxiety. Our mind-blowing technology has not ushered in world peace. We are smarter than ever, and yet we are more divided than ever. We need hope. And I want to talk about a particular hope that's wrapped up inside a specific kind of of church. So I want to pour hope into your soul today, but then I also want to sketch the image of a church that I want to give my life for. And in talking to you through this passage today, you're going to know exactly what Jessica and I and Grace Church are all about. 
I don't want there to be any shocks or surprises this partnership would run down. So if you're in Acts chapter 11, let me start reading to you in verse 19. It says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, And other translations say, when he arrived, he saw the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. They did this, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Let's excavate this passage a little bit, and and let's start dreaming for a minute about the impact that a church like Antioch could have in a culture and in a society. Verse 19 says that those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Now, the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed triggered an important response from the early church. In fact, why don't you just back up for a second and look at it. Let's go back to Acts 8.1. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Stephen, the first New Testament martyr, was executed. And in Acts 8.1, it says, on that day, A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Okay, so this is Acts 8.1. Let's have a little dyslexic moment. Let's invert those numbers and listen to Acts 1.8. In Acts 8.1, the apostles are scattering to Judea and Samaria. In Acts 1.8, Jesus gives his final commission to his followers. He gives his final pep talk and marching orders to his followers, and he says these words. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the disciples were supposed to go from Jerusalem, hometown, to Judea, surrounding community, to Samaria, people they never would have related with before, and even to the ends of the earth which was a missions movement. That that was Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But seven chapters later in Acts 8, verse 1, they're still in Jerusalem. 
It wasn't until the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed that the disciples were forced to obey Jesus. I have prayed several times, Lord, I do not want to need hard times to get me motivated. Pain and persecution and hard times have a way of getting us moving. Um, It's so easy to cry out to God in the middle of a hurricane. It's so easy to make vows and promises, and I I swear I'm going to start fresh on Monday um, in the storm. But when the the sun comes back out, it's so easy to forget those vows. Persecution has a way of getting us moving. It, It reorders our priorities. The word persecution means to break by squeezing. You ever felt like life has squeezed you to the breaking point? The the word literally means to take an object and force it through an increasingly narrow tube. And since you're forcing it to a space that's, that's increasingly shrinking, it necessarily cracks, breaks, and then crumbles. Has the, the weight of the world ever pressed you to the breaking point? Has the weight of your kids ever, ever, ever fractured you? Or the weight of your job or the pressure that you were carrying? You know, it's really fascinating. Christianity has a fascinating response to pain. Now, all of the major world religions have a response to pain. Some of them deny it. They view it as an illusion and try and ignore it. Some of them embrace it because if something bad is happening, I must deserve it. That would be Hinduism. That would be Job's three counselors. Some of them endure it because it must be the mysterious will of God. But Christianity has a very different response to pain. Christianity uses it. Christianity realizes that times of fracturing and brokenness actually become portals for the Holy Spirit to move. In Christianity, a Roman execution device becomes the hope of the world. In Christianity, what was meant for evil can actually be transformed into something that changes the world. Um, I, I love the passage In Genesis 32, when Jacob wrestles with the angel of the Lord and comes away limping. It's it's a powerful passage because Jacob is confident and self-assured and committed to winning at all costs. He goes into combat with God, confident he comes out broken, limping, blessed, and with a name change. And we we have a a friend and a, a ministry leader with us that always says, when it comes to leadership, Never trust anyone who doesn't walk with a limp. When I'm doing interviews for people to come on staff, in the back of my mind, I'm always wondering, where do they limp? Where have they wrestled with God and come away transformed? Um, Nobody wants a Jacob on their team. But, oh, man, I would give anything for an Israel, for a transformed person who's limped with God. Christianity uses Hard times. So when the persecution that came when Stephen was killed happened, um, the, the early Christians used it to further God's kingdom. When it says that they were scattered from the persecution, the word scattered is a farming term. It's the word for sowing seed. So we're on the run. Persecution is getting us moving. We should have been moving years ago, but we're finally moving. So we'll just drop a church as we go. We'll just plant seed as we go. And and this is what demonic agendas always underestimate. 
Um, the, 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 the spiritual adversaries to the kingdom of God, they always think if I strike this group hard enough, they'll break apart and they'll go away. And that's never what happens. If we crucify Jesus, we'll put an end to this whole Christianity movement. Not so. So addiction has come into my family. And what happens in the kingdom of God is that once I, I, I stop crying, I start a recovery ministry. Or I've lost a child or a spouse or a marriage or a dream. So as soon as I can breathe again, and it might take me a while, I'm going to lead a support group to help someone else. Um, the, the things that, that, that bring brokenness uncap wells of ministry. In fact, A.W. Tozer said, it is doubtful whether God can use a person greatly unless he has hurt them deeply. And, and it, that doesn't mean that God inflicts pain on people. What he's saying is God understands that when pain comes into our life, he can use that to access wells of ministry that maybe we haven't seen before. So the persecution has us on the run, but we're gonna use it to plant churches. And we're going to use it to spread the kingdom of God. One thing to watch out for, though, in times of pain and persecution is our human tendency to recoil when we're hurt. Did you notice in the text that they spoke the word, which was great, but they only spoke the word to Jews. They didn't reach out beyond themselves because it was too risky. And so anytime enough pain or persecution comes to us, it can make us become a little bit risk-averse. So if you ever notice any risk aversion in you, it's a sign that there's still something unhealed that God wants to, to process. But fortunately, in verse 20, it says, Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The most important thing about an Antioch church is that Jesus Christ was the central message. Jesus is the good news. And when these men from Cyprus and Cyrene preached at Antioch, they did not preach about the worthiness of the Mosaic law. They didn't expound on the counsel found in the wisdom literature of the Hebrew scriptures. They didn't thunderously quote the Old Testament prophets. They preached Jesus. It seems like the church in Antioch had a centered theology you know, there's a couple ways to do theology. There's a bounded theology. Remember, I'm laying tracks of what an Antioch church would look like and the kind of church that would bring hope in the world. A bounded theology is where you do all the studying about all the rules and regulations and you, you, you create a little box around every issue. And since you get a good, neat and tidy box, you know who's in and who's out. And you know who's right and who's wrong and who's almost in but has one toe outside the box. But, but another way of doing theology is what's called a centered theology, where you stay married to the essential center, trusting that if you focus on the center, the edges will take care of themselves. Have you ever taught a teenager to drive? You guys have your licenses? Yeah. Um, did, do you remember the first time you drove on a roundabout on-ramp on the freeway? A little tricky. So when Madeline, our youngest, got her license, um, the first time she approached one of those roundabouts, and she's a great driver now, but she kept looking at the outside edge. And when she looked at the outside edge, she would drift to the outside, but then because of the sharp curve, she'd have to overcorrect. 
So she did this little zigzagging thing all the way around the roundabout. And finally, I said, hey, babe, if you focus on the center lane, the outer edge will take care of itself. And, and Jesus is the center. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And fortunately, it was that message that made its way into the DNA of this Antioch church. And in verse 21, it says that the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. I like that choice. You guys remember Barnabas? Anybody remember what Barnabas' name meant? Son of encouragement. Now, that wasn't his name. His name was Joseph. But the apostles nicknamed him Barnabas. How would you like to have so much encouragement oozing out of your pores that when you walk in the room, they just say, hey, hey, hey encourager. I love that. Um, years ago, I learned that in pottery, a master potter never exerts downward pressure on the clay. They always pull the clay up. Even when they're squishing and smashing the clay, it's an upward pressure. And that's what Barnabas did his entire ministry. When Saul was first converted, the other apostles were afraid of him, so Barnabas lifted him up, believed in him, attached his reputation. When John Mark tragically failed on the mission field, Barnabas did the exact same thing. Paul wanted to write him off. He lifted John Mark. That's what a Barnabas does. And that's who the apostles sent to Antioch. See, when people have been broken badly enough through life's persecutions, they need a Barnabas. They need a ministry that lifts people and is fluent in the dialect of encouragement. Verse 23 says, when he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. What do you see when you look at the church? It's easy to see a lot of different things when you look at the church. Because the church is filled with in-process, flawed people, Barnabas saw grace. A few years ago, I was at the gym, and these two guys were talking in the locker room, and this one man was using so much profanity. He dropped like 12 F-bombs in 60 seconds. And then the conversation shifted, and the same guy started talking about how he was singing in his church's Christmas choir. <laughs> and so I was like, oh. I said, hey, what church do you go to? He goes, baseline. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But he, he, he actually said CCV. <laughs> he really did. So I texted Jeff Vines. I told him the story. But, um, but I got a little judgy in my heart. Like, oh, hypocrite. And, and then I felt like the Holy Spirit just kind of checked me. And I felt like the Lord said, you have no idea where he started from. You're looking at this moment, but you have no idea how far I brought this guy to get him to that moment of singing in a choir. Um, gray, uh, Barnabas looks at people through the lens of the grace of God. And I tell you what, Jessica and I have needed grace in our lives. Um, we've had an incredible life. We've had three daughters. We have Madeline Joy, Amber Hope, and Alexis Grace. I'll, I'll show you a picture of Amber and Maddie. So starting from the right, Madeline um, on the right there, she's uh, 20 years old. She's now a junior at Cal Baptist. Even though I taught at APU for a few years, she's in love with CBU. She's a unicorn. She's amazing. Amber, our middle, so Madeline Joy, Amber Hope, 
Amber's married to Theo, so I have a son-in-law, Theo Jonathan Monsi Baez, and they have a baby named Malachi, and he's wearing a little gold chain. Isn't that crazy? So Malachi Jonathan Monsi Baez, it's kind of a mouthful, but they're amazing, um, incredible kids, incredible life, but we also had another child. We had a daughter named Alexis Grace, who passed away when she was three and a half years old. Um, incredible little girl. She was amazing, but she was born with really severe health problems, and, and couldn't, there couldn't have been more prayer, more faith, more hope, and, but we lost her when she was three and a half. And um, I actually have a little gift for you today. Um, we were young. I was, we were married at 23 and 21. I, I was 27 when she died. Jessica was 25. A few years after she died, I wrote a book called Praying Through Sorrows, which tells a little bit of her story and also has some thoughts about reconnecting to life after loss. And I brought a box of these. They're available on the men's table, and I've got enough for everybody. And this will just let you know a little bit more of our story and, and a little bit more about the hole that's still inside our heart, because um, that's what you'd be getting with us. But, but we've had, we, we, we couldn't have loved her more, but, but we've also lived through a lot of other stuff. We've lived through some very severe addiction and some really close family members that was crushing. Our families lived through 19 surgeries. Seven of them were on Alexis. And, and we've lived through some pretty graphic and terrible church trauma. When we were young adults and newlyweds, we were part of a dynamic church. It was amazing. But it, it imploded because of some almost cult-like control with some of the top-level leadership, and it damaged tons of people in the process. So there, there was an old preacher that we adored, and he used to say, I've seen enough in the church to make me an infidel. And we could agree with that. But then he said, but I still have a made-up mind and a determination to see what lies at the end of a successful Christian race. And grace can carry us to the finish line. But what did Jack Black's character say in The Holiday? We watch The Holiday every Christmas. But when he's talking about the Santa Ana winds, you ever see The Holiday? He said, the legend has it, when the Santa Anas blow, all bets are off, anything can happen. But listen, when the grace of God gets in the room, anything can happen. People who are dead on the inside can come back to life. People who have been flattened by life can actually breathe again and do something significant for the kingdom of God. Antioch was a safe place for broken people. And it was safe for a couple of reasons. It was safe because Jesus was central, not other agendas, not other priorities. Jesus was central. Encouragement was the ethos. And when people had to describe what was happening there, all they could say was, wow, I see grace in action. Verse 23, we'll land the plane here soon. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And then it says it for the second time, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Chaz and Carter, actually Saul, but Saul was a next-gen leader at this point. Saul was not the famous apostle Paul yet. Saul was still finishing his training season of life. And when Barnabas got to Antioch and saw what was happening, he thought, Saul has got to be a part of this. He would love this and they need him. So he went and found Saul, brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. So Antioch churches invest in the next generation of leadership. 
They identify them, they pour into them, and they elevate them. Um, Verse 26. I love this. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. It's kind of the opposite of how it happens today, isn't it? Um, Today, we find opportunities to tell people we're Christian, and then we hope they don't think we're too big of hypocrites when they finally find out. It was so different for them. They so lived their faith that the community around them prophesied their identity. They had to invent a name to describe this new breed of human, Christian, little replica, little miniature example of the one that they're following. Listen, my friends, the world outside us is not waiting for the emergence of more fundamentalists. It is not waiting for more evangelicals to arise. It's not waiting for more people to get progressive. The world around us is waiting for Christians, people who have actually found a life that works and a hope worth living. Amen? Amen is a churchy thing, isn't it? (laughs) It means agreed, so be it. Um, Verse 27, the gifts of the Spirit were in operation here. Um, Agabus visits from Jerusalem, prophesies about a famine that's going to occur. So in verse 29, I love it. The, the Antioch community gave sacrificially to care for the larger church community around them. So an Antioch church welcomes the Spirit, wants the Spirit, moves with the Spirit, and cares about what's happening in the larger world around them. I think it would be pretty awesome to be a part of an Antioch church a church where broken people felt safe and could heal and become more powerful than they were before they broke. Uh, A church where Jesus was the heart and soul and the center of everything and where anyone was welcomed to meet him. Uh, I think it'd be pretty awesome to be a part of a church where encouragement was the mother tongue. I, I teach at a college in Kenya for pastors and these, these pastors all speak a minimum of three languages. They all speak English. They, they can't get into the school unless they speak English. But they also speak Swahili, and then they all speak their unique mother tongue. I want encouragement to be my mother tongue. I want the natural pressure that comes out of my life to be an upward lifting pressure. I want, I want to be in a place where people are pulled up, not crushed down. I want to be in a church where grace is so tangible in the atmosphere, you can see it. And where everywhere you look, next-gen leaders are being empowered and commissioned to change the world. I want to be in a place where the Holy Spirit is welcome, sought, pursued, and where people spend their lives in service to others. Don't you? I I think there's hope wrapped up in a place like that. So, Kyle, let me have you bring your mustache back up here. Have our little GQ worship leader come back up. And whoever else is on the worship team can rejoin me. There are are a lot of incredible churches in this 210 corridor inland empire region. So I've been the pastor at Grace for 15 years. So I've met a lot of the pastors in this area. There's a lot of great churches. But I tell you what, there's always room for an Antioch church. Claremont needs it. Laverne needs it. Ontario needs it. Upland needs it. And, and we need it. And so why don't you stand with me? 
I believe that the pooled resources of Grace Church Laverne and Baseline could be the building blocks for assembling an Antioch church. I believe the unique strengths and histories pooled together, um, highlighting the best, jettisoning, jettisoning everything else, could be building blocks for a structure that remains. Our church has been around for over 120 years. Grace was founded when Laverne was still called Lordsburg, and your church has been around for 40 plus years. That's a lot of history. That's a lot of faithfulness in the room today. And I think the future of what could come by assembling those strengths and resources could, could echo for generations. So let's respond in worship. I, I know that in, in our modern-day church context, um, closing worship songs, it's not, it's not the P.S. It's not the we're almost done. It's the response moment. And so maybe if, if anything in you resonated with the brokenness stuff, maybe this is a moment to say, God, where do you want to direct this brokenness? What do you want to come out of this in my life? What's the next well of ministry you want to uncap? Or if you're still processing merger stuff, maybe this is just a moment to say, where do I fit? You fit at Antioch. You fit in that kind of a church. And so it's, it's an awesome honor to worship with you, to be with here. I know we'll talk more later, but um, let's worship. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Baseline Community Church, please go to baselinecc.com dot com.